Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland, it's the Cleveland Guardians 12, the Texas Rangers 3. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. Well, I mean, they waited until the middle of September, but uh, this might be the most complete game the Cleveland Guardians have played all year. I mean, 12 runs on 15 hits. It was a party at the corner of Carnegie and Ontario. Everybody gets in on the action. Everybody with a hit. You know, I know there's a few defensive replacements that go in or pinch runners that go in late in the game, but they don't even have at-bats. Everybody who stepped up to the plate got a hit tonight. Uh, Everybody who stepped up to the plate except for Will Brennan crossed home plate, scored a run tonight. But Will Brennan delivered two RBIs, so he got in on the fun as well. So, yeah, I mean, just an absolute party offensively. Uh, it starts against John Gray, the starter for the Rangers. They bring in Andrew Heaney out of the bullpen, and that's just a terrible mistake. He gives up six runs over two innings pitched. Normally a starter for them, but has appeared in two relief appearances. And his last two appearances have been relief appearances for Heaney. So I don't know what's going on there. Um, But yeah, so we absolutely blow them up. Uh, We've got home runs. We've got doubles. I mean, it is a party. And then on the other side of things, Lucas Giolito maybe pitches his best game of the entire season. Uh, Definitely his highest strikeout total. Uh, seven innings pitched, two hits, no runs, one walk to lead off the game, and 12 strikeouts on 100 pitches. He's only hard hit once. One hard hit ball the entire game. I mean, everything was working for Lucas Giolito last night. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, after those first few outings, you thought... You thought Giolito was a waste of a waiver pickup, right? He, okay, now he's replacing Thor as someone who's eating innings to protect the rookies. Uh, I'd say Ronaldo Lopez has been all right, right? Uh, more, actually, I, I was surprised. I thought more would be the more successful of the three waiver pickups. Uh, but I think I would say Ronaldo Lopez has been all right. More struggled a little more. And uh, Giolito, up until this point, was a, kind of a disaster. And... Uh, and now, after this start, you're thinking to yourself, did did Carl Willis fix Lucas Giolito? Like, did did something here in the Guardian system, something, uh, I, I you know, when I say Carl Willis, I, I include his entire staff, right? The bullpen coaches, the, uh, you know, the other pitching coaches. Uh, did somebody get through to Lucas Giolito? Or is it just everything was clicking this game, right? We'll have to see. He should get another start or two. It'll be interesting because uh, Shane Bieber and um, Tristan McKenzie both did rehab starts recently. Uh, they both pitched in Akron. Things things went well. They have another rehab start scheduled, I believe, in Columbus. Um, you know, they usually just do it based on whoever's playing home games between Columbus and Akron. Uh, it's more about getting out there and how they're feeling than the competition they're facing. So if they come back, how do they work them in, right? Do they do kind of some kind of piggyback thing? Do they just go with like a seven-man rotation and and just drop some guys off the bullpen? Like how are they going to get 
because uh, they know they want Bieber and McKenzie to both throw MLB innings before the season's over. Uh, but it doesn't have to be starts, right? There's no reason uh, Tristan McKenzie can't go three innings after Logan Allen goes five just to get in there. Um, so, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how they work them in. But Giolito should, should, in theory, get another start or two. And we'll be able to see if this is just one of those games where everything was clicking or if maybe, maybe he figured something out. Maybe he's worth a look for. I mean, if it's this guy, right? If it's this guy, you're going, oh, please resign him. Like, come on. We've seen Giolito be a weapon for the White Sox for years. We know he's struggled a little bit recently. But if it's this guy... I kind of want to see that guy pitch for the Guardians for another for a full season. Um, I mean, at one time he was the ace of the White Sox staff. Uh, with that changeup, with those strikeouts, he definitely was the ace. Uh, you know, before some other younger guys like Dylan Cease kind of developed. Um, so yeah, I absolutely, absolutely fantastic game all the way around from your Guardians and. Uh, like I said, it's a shame that it's the middle of September. We're basically out of the playoff race here uh, when it happens. But that's why we watch all the games, right? That's why the morning people, we are so crazy about this team, why we're so into it, and why we like having baseball on. Because you never know when a night like this is going to happen. So, all right, let's get into the details. Let's get into the top storylines. I kind of want to start with the offense because... Uh, I mean, some of these guys just really, really had fantastic games. Even some of the guys that only had one hit on the night still got on via a walk at some point in the game. So, uh, you know, we're on base. Quan and Ramirez were on base twice. Only one hit, but a walk too. Naylor goes four for five with a big, big uh, three RBIs there. Um, his hit in the... Uh, his hit in the fourth inning, I thought was absolutely huge. Um, because up until that point, yeah, we had gotten the two-run home run from uh, Andres Jimenez that just barely cleared the wall uh, in the uh, in the second inning. Uh, would have been a home run in 22 out of 30 ballparks, 389. He hits at 101.4 miles per hour. So, I mean, a nice two-run home run to kick off the scoring. But uh, up until that fourth inning, we had actually let a couple opportunities go by. Uh, you know, we have a leadoff uh, single in the first by Quan. Uh, Ramirez hits in a force-off. Then he gets picked off, caught stealing. Uh, then Naylor strikes out to end the first. After that two-run home run by Andres Jimenez in the second, it's a one-out two-run home run. With one out in the inning, he hits the two-run home run. Uh, but then Brennan would walk... Uh, and Arias would single behind it. So, you know, usually a home run is just kind of, it, it exists on its own, right? It's not, it's usually not part of a rally, or it usually ends the rally. It's usually the exclamation point on the rally. Like, how many times have we seen the home run, and then, you know, the last the next batter gets out and the inning's over? Uh, and, you know, they do that commercial break thing where they're like, uh, well, he gets out of it, but the damage has been done, and dun, 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 and then they go to commercial. Uh but no, Brennan keeps it going with a walk. Arias with a single. He had some good swings tonight. Uh, and then, But then Bo Naylor strikes out and Quan would fly out. So can't do anything with those two base runners in the second. In the third inning, we get two guys on. Naylor with a one-out single. 
after a Calhoun lineout, Ramon Laureano would single, and then Andres Jimenez would get hit by the pitch, so we load the bases, and, you know, I'm like, all right, here we go. Let's blow this game open. Let's, you know, separate ourselves a little bit from the Rangers, and Will Brennan would fly out, uh, kind of pop out, really, a 50-degree launch angle. I believe this is the one that Carver from center field came uh, screaming in and, and catch and caught. It, it was, for a moment, it looked like, there might be some miscommunication between center field, right field, second base. Like for a second, it looked like it may be one of those ones where like everybody bails because nobody called it, and then the ball just falls. But Carver takes Carter takes it. So a little disappointing there. Brennan has a chance with the bases loaded to again really, really separate themselves from the Rangers. Uh, and then in the fourth inning here, uh, it's with two outs that Naylor gets this single. So. Uh, Arias uh, had singled to kick off the inning. Uh, Bo Naylor strikes out. Quan flies out. Ramirez draws a walk. Um, I thought Arias had moved himself up to second at this point. Did he steal? I know he stole a base at some point in this game. I thought it was here in this fourth inning. Uh, no. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, when Bo Naylor struck out, Gabriel Arias had stole second base. So they did have first base open. So they kind of pitch around Jose Ramirez and walk him. And then Naylor, it's like, okay, you know what you got to do. We need a hit here, Naylor. Like, we we need you to do something here. And he does. He takes a uh, he takes an outside pitch, and he shoots it into left field. So he doesn't try to hit the big home run, doesn't try to do too much with it, takes the pitch he's given, and uh, pokes one out into left field. 83.7 mile per hour exit velocity, a 14-degree launch angle, so a nice line drive single in the left field, and Arias comes around to score. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, good. You, you, you'd finally, somebody somebody got a hit with runner in the scoring position. I didn't want it to be one of those nights where we go 0 for 12 with runners in scoring position, and all we've got is this two-run home run to show for it. And, and you know, it's a pressure cooker all the way down to the ninth inning. Classe's got to come in for the save. It's just we were we were getting to John Gray. And I didn't want it to be one of those games. So it was nice to see Naylor get that big RBI hit here uh, and show that there's other ways to score. We can have a rally. Someone can come up with a hit with runners in scoring position here. Now, Calhoun would pop out to end the inning, so we can't add on to it. But at least it showed a, you know, I would say a crack in the dam, maybe. Uh, it showed that we could do something. And it knocked their starter out of the game. Uh, he goes and gets John Gray after this. I mean, Gray, it's not a great start by any means, but he had only given up three runs. Uh, in three and two-thirds, he'd given up seven hits, three earned runs, two walks, three strikeouts, the the two-run home run. He only had thrown 73 pitches. He was hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times over those 73 pitches. So, I mean, at three runs, boy, it was a, it's a quick hook there. On John Gray. And, uh, I mean, we weren't even doing it on the pitch that he normally gets lit up by. Uh, I actually saw this during the pregame, uh, which I, I normally never watch. Uh, but uh, he's got a terrible batting average against his four-seam fastball. It's been an awful pitch for him this year. Batters are hitting 342 against John Gray's four-seam fastball. They're slugging 535. I mean, they're absolutely lighting that thing up. Uh, he's given up 10 home runs, 12 doubles to that four-seam fastball. 
But in true Guardians fashion, that was not the pitch that they were doing the most damage against John Gray with. Uh, they were doing it with, uh, they have uh, two hits off of fastballs. Quan uh, had a hit off of a fastball. And uh, Ramon Laureano uh, had a hit off of a fastball. Um, but uh, Naylor's hit was off a changeup. Uh, Andres Jimenez's was off a curveball. Uh, that was just below the belt, but out over the plate. Uh, Naylor's other hit uh, in the third inning uh, came off of a changeup. And then both of Gabriel Arias' hits came off of sliders. So, yeah, it wasn't the forcing fastball that they were lighting up. Uh, Arias' both hits were sliders at the belt, kind of out over the plate, but not far enough where he's, like, really reaching for him. Uh, two pitches kind of, kind of, I would say, towards the middle of the plate. Uh, towards middle middle, and he uh, at least one he shot back up the middle. I know. Um, I thought both hits went back up the middle, uh, but either way, it wasn't John Gray's fastball. So a real quick hook there on John Gray, and Naylor's hit does drive him out of the game. Then Heaney comes in, the uh, the lefty, and uh, man, they get to him. Uh, Ramon Laureano with the big home run. Uh, to kick off the fifth inning at 112.7 mile per hour exit velocity. It's the hardest hit ball of the entire game. 30 out of 30 ballparks, this thing would have been gone. Uh, 26 degree launch angle, 397 down the left field line and over that 19 foot wall. An absolute smoked baseball by Ramon Laureano. And uh, frankly, you know, he got hit in the hand earlier in this game. So you're thinking to yourself, is he going to have trouble gripping the bat maybe? Um, but no, uh, he jumps on a low forcing fastball. They hit the forcing fastball off Andrew Heaney, uh, not off John Gray. Four of the uh, six hits that Heaney gives up are via the fastball. Two are via the slider. Uh, but this home run from Ramon Laureano is a fastball coming down and in, and he spins on it. And uh, gets the lift on it, even though it's it's kind of at the bottom of the strike zone. So a great swing from Ramon Laureano when, honestly, got, I mean, later in the game, he actually kind of drops his bat on a swing because that hand is probably bothering him. Uh, but, man, he gets a hold of this one. So it's nice to see him do that off a lefty pitcher. That's If you're going to keep Ramon Laureano around, that's why you would keep him around, those lefty pitchers. Uh, but then, then things start to get really fun. In the sixth inning, uh, this was the inning. I mean, what a rally! They everybody bats in the inning. Uh, they don't bat around because I we went through this at once. To bat around, the guy who let off the inning has to bat again. That completes the circle. If you just go, you know, one through nine, or in this case, nine through eight, all the way back through eight, you've batted through the order. You haven't batted around if that guy doesn't come back up. Um, I don't know why we, I remember one year we got into that on this show. It became, it was a thing. Um, Bo Naylor leads off with a double. You end up having four doubles in the inning, including Ramirez's high double to dead center field, 106.8 miles per hour, 21 degree launch angle, 424 feet. But I mean, if it's a few feet to the right, it goes into the trees, into the, you know, the Cleveland's Hall of Fame out there in center field, but it's just towards the camera bay just a little bit, and it ends up hitting high off that 19-foot wall, 
It would have been a home run. So uh, Jeff uh, with a G, Jeff from Columbus, tweeted at me about it. He's like, do we just have the deepest center field in all of baseball? No, it's the 19-foot wall. Nobody nobody has a wall that high that goes that that deep. I think that's that's more the issue. Uh, I Even in Boston, this would have been a home run. Even in Fenway with the Green Monster, this would have been a home run. Uh, probably over the garage door out there in center field. Uh, but it's that 19-foot wall extends so far deep into center field that uh, the only places this wouldn't have been a home run are in Progressive Field and Chase Field in Arizona. The only two ballparks that would have contained this one. So, uh, But still a nice double from Jose Ramirez. Josh Naylor follows it up with a double. Uh, after a Calhoun ground out, Ramon Laureano draws a walk. Andres Jimenez with a single. And then Will Brennan gets a double before Gabriel Arias strikes out to end the inning. So four doubles in the inning. And, I mean, that's that's when the party was really kicked into full swing, right? Uh, everything up until the sixth inning is kind of like your guests arriving. Like, uh, Andres Jimenez's home run is when, you know, the first wave of guests show up. Hey, everybody's happy. Uh, you know, the the run in the fourth inning, maybe the music finally, you finally threw the music on and everyone's like, all right. The fifth inning, you get a big home run. Uh, maybe some people start dancing. The sixth inning, the five-run rally in the sixth inning is when the party really kicks into full gear, right? Everybody's on the dance floor. Crazy stories are happening. This is when everybody's having a good time. And uh, four doubles in the inning. Uh, You know, as much as we've discussed whether this team needs home runs or not throughout the season, uh, just as important as the home runs are the doubles. Like, having big doubles, uh, having extra base hits, uh, it's fun. It's a party. Uh, it's 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 a good time on offense, and uh, I'll I'll take a team that throws up a ton of doubles, uh, just as much as I'll take a team that can throw up some home runs. So uh, a huge rally there in the sixth, and then why not? Let's put an absolute exclamation point on it in the seventh inning. Quan uh, gets on via a one out walk. Uh, he would uh, he would advance to second on a wild pitch. At some point during uh, during Jose Ramirez's at bat, uh, let me scroll down to it here. Uh, yeah, during uh, Ian Kennedy would throw a wild pitch at one point, and he'd move up to second, which means Naylor is able to drive him in. Uh, he shoots one through to right field, uh, hits it hard, one hundred and nine point five. That's a missile through to right field, uh, and it brings Quan into score, makes it a nice even ten to nothing game over Texas. And then Cole Calhoun absolutely jumps on one that is, I mean, dead middle-middle. He hits this thing at 102.6 miles per hour, 33-degree launching, 408 feet, no doubt about it, 30 out of 30 ballparks. Uh, Calhoun absolutely explodes one, and that is the exclamation point on the day off Ian Kennedy. And uh, both hits, the one to Naylor and the one he gives up to Cole Calhoun, are four-seam fastballs, middle, middle. And it's nice to see the Guardians finally hitting some four-seam fastballs. I mean, they they even struggled against John Gray's four-seam fastball, frankly. Uh, But Heaney and Ian Kennedy both get absolutely blasted on four-seam fastballs. So 
it is nice to see the exclamation point by Calhoun. And like I said, it's it's a party for everybody. It's an absolute party for everybody in the lineup. Everybody has something to smile about. Everybody has something to feel good about. Um, yeah, everybody did a little damage on this night. So uh, let's flip things over to the pitching side of things. And uh, I can't believe Giolito is the back, you know, the side B of this album uh, because he pitched absolutely fantastic. And for a guy who has been struggling all year with, uh, with frankly, frankly, all his pitches, like his changeup still has a plus three run value. But it just doesn't seem to be as dominant as a pitch as it's been in the past. If you go back to 2021, his changeup had a plus 11 run value and his slider had a plus 9. Well, he fell on hard times last year. His changeup, my God, last year was a disaster. His changeup had a minus 7 run value. His slider had a minus 5. This year, the slider still has a minus 8 run value. The changeup does have that plus 3. So a season when, let's just say, it's not been... Not been his best. There have been moments for Giolito. Uh, it's not a tear. Eight and thirteen, so he's still been able to manage some wins. A four point six nine ERA. He's brought his WHIP down from last year. Last year was up at a one four four. Now it's down to a one two five. He's gone more innings than he went last year. I I think injuries have kind of gotten to him. Uh, small injuries have gotten to him the last few years. Uh, strikeout total. He's nearing two hundred again. He's at one eighty nine right now. So another start or two, he might be able to hit that 200 mark. Um, so it's been a better season, but not a great season, right? I mean, the 8-13 and 13 record shows it. I know the wins I know wins and losses aren't everything for a pitcher, but it just shows that it hasn't been a great season for Lucas Giolito. Uh, but uh, this start tonight, all three pitches were absolutely working. Um, going to his player breakdown page, uh, his changeup, he threw the most on the night. He was really feeling that changeup. 47 times he went to that changeup, uh, most on the night. 34 forcing fastballs, 18 sliders, and one curve? Eh, mixing one curve there. wonder what he was throwing. Going back to the illustrator here, I'm going to take a look, see what he was throwing first pitch. Because with that many changeups, you got to imagine uh, he went to it on the first pitch a couple of times. And yeah, yeah, he did actually. Uh, nine times he started batters with the four-seam fastball. Eight times he started with a changeup. Five times he started with a slider and that one curveball. Uh, he threw to somebody to start an at-bat. And it seemed like if he got ahead, if he got ahead in the count, 0-1, it was an honest-to-God even split between slider, fastball, and uh, changeup. Five sl- changeups, five fastballs, five sliders on 0-1 counts. And pretty similar on 0-2 counts as well. Um, so, yeah, if he got ahead, you didn't know what you were getting. If he fell behind, you were getting change-up. Uh, if he fell behind 1-0, and 0, which uh, happened a couple of times, only one fastball, only one slider, five change-ups. 2-0, uh, and 0, it was a change-up. 1-1, one one, uh, six change-ups to, why won't you show me, uh, to two fastballs. Sometimes I swear to God, uh, Statcast gets weird and you hover over something and it just doesn't show you what you want to see. Uh, so yeah, so six changeups to two fastballs on one one counts, uh, four changeups to one fastball on two one counts. So when he was ahead, you didn't know what you were getting. If he fell behind, he was using the changeup to get back into the at bat. So uh, 
there you go. That's kind of a, what he was using when he was using it uh, situationally there. So going back to that player breakdown page, uh, Giolito's changeup, I mean, just it's a thing of beauty on the night. Eight whiffs on 19 swings. It's a 42% whiff rate. 13 called strikes on that changeup. Uh, is good for a 45% CSW on that pitch. Remember, the 40% mark is where we're looking for when we want to say it's an elite start, right? That 40% CSW mark is kind of the line uh, we use to judge elite pitching. And uh, 45% on that changeup, definitely an elite pitch on the night. The five they did put in play uh, only had a 75.2% exit velocity. So even when they were making contact with it, not hard contact. Um, the uh, the fastball had five whiffs and seven called strikes. It's a 35% CSW on that pitch. Uh, three whiffs on the slider uh, and two called strikes. It's a 35% whiff rate total on the day. It's a 38% CSW total on the day. So I would say pretty close to elite right there from uh, Giolito. So let's go back to the illustrator here. Let's take a look. Those 12 strikeouts, what was he using to get those strikeouts? It's a little bit of everything. It's fastballs at the top of the zone, hitting the top of the strike zone with those four-seam fastballs. It's change-ups and sliders actually away. He normally throws that change-up to the arm side of the plate, to the left side of the plate from the catcher's view, but he threw a couple of strikeouts with change-ups down and away. Uh, that he got guys to chase. One was a called strike to Robbie Grossman that locks him up at the knees. Um, one in the middle of the plate that uh, Duran just could not handle. And then a couple of changeups down below the knees. So five strikeouts come via the changeup. Five strikeouts come via forcing fastballs up at the top of the strike zone. And then two sliders that he pounds the outside edge of the plate with. Both swinging strikes to Simeon and Garver. Um, so big strikeouts there. Now I will say, uh, let's take a look at just the called strikes here. Gilito did get a little of the help, a little bit of help, especially at the top of the strike zone. Uh, there's at least three fastballs here that, yeah, we're, we're out of the strike zone. Uh, he was calling some high strikes for the guardians. Didn't really call any for the Rangers. I don't see any fastballs above the strike zone here being called a strike for the Rangers. Frankly, Ian Kennedy got a lot of help. Of his six called strikes, five of them are out of the strike zone. Uh, But, I mean, at that point in the game, were there any Rangers fans even watching to complain about, you know, things? Uh, Yeah, two to uh, the left side of the plate, two to the right side of the plate, and one below the plate. So, Ian Kennedy got a lot of help outside the strike zone. This guy had a pretty wide strike zone on the entire night. Um, It'll be interesting to see that umpire card come out to see who it actually favored. But um, for the most part, he was in the strike zone. I mean, those called strikes on that changeup, he was pounding the strike zone and all four quadrants of the strike zone with that changeup. And then that fastball, yeah, he got a little help at the top of the strike zone. I'm not going to lie. There's three fastballs located up above the zone there. So absolutely dominant performance from Lucas Giolito. And again, I mean, the Guardians front office is really going to have to consider these waiver wire guys, are any of them worth investing a little time and money into? Or, or, or are any of them, because, you know, hasn't been the best season. They get bounced from the White Sox, which from all reports had a pretty toxic locker room environment. 
to the Angels, which clearly is, you know, a sinking ship. And then they end up in Cleveland. They got a nice they got a nice clubhouse they're playing in, right? Some good guys. Uh, Giolito really made it seem like uh, it, it's been a nice change of pace to come here to Cleveland and to, you know, fit in with these guys and be able to do what he does and, and get back on track with uh, with his pitching tonight uh, so or last night. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting conversation to see uh what they decide about Lopez. I, my guess is Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez, you probably have the best chance at signing a fair kind of, uh, you know, let me show what I can do kind of deal. Matt Moore, because he's the lefty, he he already got a huge free agent contract when he signed with the Angels. Moore might command the most money just because he can be a lefty weapon for anybody. Um so yeah, so but Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez uh, are the ones we're keeping our eye on. Calhoun obviously uh, can become a free agent again after the season. Ramon Laureano has arbitration years left, so we could tender him a contract and keep Ramon Laureano around pretty easily. Of all the guys we've acquired, he'd be the easiest one, just from the paperwork standpoint, to keep around. Uh, I did notice, uh, I'm sure you all noticed, that Cole Calhoun uh, cr- uh, crossed 10 years of service time officially as an MLB player, which is big for him because it means he qualifies for the MLB pension. So that's big for Cole Calhoun. I mean, I know these guys make enough money, but everybody wants to be set up for retirement. Uh, so it makes you... Some people were wondering on Twitter, like, are they going to, like, DFA him the next day? Like, were they doing him a favor by keeping him around uh, so he could hit that 10 years of service time? And then after that, they were going to let him walk. Um I, I don't know if they'll bring Cole Calhoun back. Uh, it just it hasn't been enough. I know I know there have been some big home runs and there have been some big moments, and I know he's been a good influence in the clubhouse. I just don't know if you can spend a roster spot on this guy next year, especially with um, you know the guy from Tampa Bay that they got, probably looking to fill that role of first base DH with Naylor. Uh, I, I just don't know if you want to stunt that growth by bringing back Cole Calhoun to hit 230 but smack a couple home runs. So, uh yeah, just looking at the guys they acquired, who might be the who might be the logical ones to try to keep around. All right, let's turn things over to the emailers because it's funny on a night like this, uh there's actually le- there's actually less to talk about when they have a big win like this. Uh so we got a new emailer, uh Robert, I don't think Robert ever said where he's emailing in from. So Robert, we gotta find out uh, where you're emailing from. Uh, sometimes he goes by Bob. Uh, he said uh, he emailed in about the um, the game uh, yesterday, the San Francisco game. Uh, he got that in during the off day. He said, "Yes, uh, that San Francisco game encapsulated the season. As in Murphy's Law, whatever could go wrong did go wrong. Uh, why Morgan in the eighth inning is beyond me. He is not what we thought he was." Aside from Josh Naylor, no one has performed as in 2022. His injury was what finally killed this season. Yeah, his injury did hurt in the middle of the season. It was it was a big loss. Uh, you're you're absolutely right there, Bob. We need so much for next year. Aside from the obvious need for power, in my opinion, a two hole hitter is also a serious need. Uh, I think it, Bob's probably thinking move Ramirez back down to the three hole. Naylor cleaning up, but finding someone to hit two, yeah, it would be nice. 
Finally, for now, he says, why not Rokio for the remainder of the year? In my opinion, Arias will never hit especially high inside fastballs. Enjoy your show. Uh, that was from Bob uh, during the off day. And you know what? The Arias debate, the Rokio Arias debate, we are just getting warmed up. Tana is in on that debate. Uh, there's going to be other. Uh, Brito is going to be in on that debate. There's going to be a lot of competition at that shortstop position next year. So I, I don't think anything is set in stone yet. Uh, I think, you know, they decided at least Rokio can play every day and Arias can play every day. And that seems to be the more ideal thing for the front office to know that both those guys are playing every day playing shortstop and they can evaluate that way instead of rotating them here at the major league level uh you know they just get so so many less at bats doing that that they figured this is the best way to keep getting them at bats keep evaluating them i'm sure antonetti and chernoff are keeping an eye on rocchio and what he's doing at AAA right now those at bats are not getting lost on the front office um, and but then he followed up uh, after the win uh, after the win uh, last night, and he said the frustrations of 2023 slammed on Texas tonight with a Cole Calhoun exclamation point. So thanks for joining the conversation, Bob. Thanks for being part of the show. Next time, let us know uh, where you're emailing in from. It's always fun to hear where the morning people are coming from. We got an email from Jeff in Columbus. Jeff with a G. He said, "Hi, Davey. Fun game." What a difference when we hit doubles and home runs. Lucas Giolito pitched a gem. Maybe MVP consideration? All of the starters had a hit or two tonight. Not sure that happened very often this season. All right, great team win. Let's keep it going. Thanks for the podcast, Jeff and Columbus. Thank you for the email, Jeff. Um, MVP consideration. We'll see. We'll see where we end up tonight. Uh, And then Marlon uh, emailed in, Uh, just like every Guardians fan, I asked myself, where has this offense output been all season? It was as if the Guardians took out their frustrations of this failure of a season out on the Rangers. Giolito had by far and away his best performance as a Guardian, perhaps his best game of this season. Yeah, I went back, Marlon, and I looked at uh, Giolito's game logs, and surprisingly, he, he has had some decent games. He's had a couple of 10 strikeout games. This season, he struck out 10 against the Red Sox. And a couple, so that was his only double-digit strikeout game. A couple of nine strikeout games as well mixed in there. And a couple of shutouts. Uh, he he had a no-hitter actually going in April against the Phillies and left after six innings. I don't know what his pitch count was in that game. But, uh, yeah, uh, so he had a no-hitter going against the Phillies for six innings. Uh, got the win in that one. He had another shutout. Yeah, he shut out the Twins. Over only went five innings. They'll give up six hits, but nine strikeouts against the Twins back in July when he was still pitching for the White Sox. But yeah, definitely, uh, arguably with the 12 strikeouts and the shutout, arguably, arguably his best game of the season right there. All right, let's get back to Marlon's email. Um, so uh, better late than never, he says, basically, with Giolito. Of course, he jumps on Eli Morgan here. And as soon as Eli Morgan came in the game, I thought of Marlon. He said, I have no problem with Eli Morgan pitching tonight. These are the type of situations he should be pitching. Even though he cost the team a shutout, it was disappointing to see Texas light him up, especially after our old friend Hedgie retired the side in order. That's right. Austin Hedges got a hero's reception returning back to progressive field. Um, you know, we're going to have to, he says, my big issue though, is the poor outing allows Texas to get into a rhythm for tomorrow night. I don't, I don't know, Marlon. I don't know how much of an effect that has. 
Uh, they'd already pulled a lot of their starters. We'll see if that has any effect on Texas. I doubt it. Um, they're probably still hanging their heads pretty hard after this loss. Um, we'll have to look into Eli Morgan at some point this season and do a deep dive because if you remember at the beginning of the season, I think he was actually pitching pretty well at the beginning of the season. He was actually kind of a weapon out of the bullpen at different times throughout his career. And he definitely has fallen apart. I mean, he, there's no doubt about it. Eli Morgan has fallen apart. So we'll have to take a look and see uh, what's going on there. Marlon continues, congrats to Cole Calhoun. I'm reaching 10 years of service time in the big leagues. Tonight, they mentioned he was college teammates with Jason Kipnis. I didn't know about this, and it was very interesting to hear. Uh, and then he gets into the front office. Now, Marlon is not a fan of this current front office. And uh, basically, I'm going to summarize here because it's a long paragraph, but he thinks that uh, the Red Sox have uh, mentioned uh, Chris Antonetti's name, possibly being interested in bringing Chris Antonetti over to Boston, and uh, whether that's a team president role or something like that. Uh, it's funny how guys think they could just come into Cleveland and just swipe our guys for lateral moves. Um but uh, Marlon's all for it. Basically, he says, go ahead, hire Antonetti, hire Chernoff, take him away from us. He does not a fan. He wants nothing to do with the John Hart uh, front office tree anymore. Uh, he wants Heim Bloom and uh, who else did he say? Uh, Theo Epstein to come here. He, he thinks, let's go get their guys and let them take our guys. Basically, he's sick of... Uh, He's sick of uh, stockpiling shortstops and refusing to trade them. He's sick of light-hitting contact outfielders. Um, so he's done uh, with this front office. I, to summarize his paragraph, basically. Um, you know what, Marlon? I, it, you don't want to... I know you might be frustrated with this front office at times, but really, really take a look at how good you've had it, right? The stability that you've been given in this front office. I know that they've fallen into this weird situation where they've got way too many contact hitters and no power. I know it's been a weird approach. They were trying something, and we can all agree it hasn't really worked out. Uh, but I, I just, you know, it's one of those things where you don't know what's on the other side. If you let the Red Sox take Antonetti and Chernoff leaves too, you don't know what's on the other side of that. And uh, I know with Antonetti and Chernoff, we're going to get a competitive team year after year. And we're going to have fantastic pitching, which mentioned Marlon mentions in the email here. But you don't know what's on the other side of that. There's no guarantee Hyam Bloom and you know Theo Epstein would come to Cleveland and, and, and you know get us a World Series just like they did for the Red Sox and the Cubs. And if Theo Epstein ended that drought, he said, if he could end the drought, World Series drought for the Red Sox, Cubs, and Guardians, he would be the greatest of all time front office executive. Um, yeah, that's that's really wishful thinking, and and chances are it would be, uh, it would be someone you'd never heard of who would come in here and uh, uh, take over the team, and uh, man, that's a mystery box that I'm not ready to open. So I appreciate the email, Marlon, but frankly, I'm curious to see. I think Antonetti and Chernoff have learned their lessons from this season, and I would like to see what they do going into next season to address that. If they don't do anything, if they don't trade any of those shortstops, if they don't find any power in the offseason, then yeah, let's hammer away at them. 
But I, I'm curious. They, they clearly have learned their lesson by how the season has gone, by not defending our AL Central title, by falling back this bad, and by the offense being, you know, struggling this much. Let's see what lesson they learned. Let's see what solution they can come up with out of it. So I, I'm willing to at least wait one more season before we even start discussing that mystery box of uh, blowing up the front office. So thank you for the email, as always, Marlon. And thank you, everybody. Bob, Jeff from Columbus, thank you for joining the conversation. All right, that's all my thoughts. MVP on the day. I know you've been waiting. Look, look, on a night like this, everybody, everybody contributed in such a way I know it's a little cliche, but I got to say, it's a full team MVP day. It's everybody. Everybody gets MVP on the day. It's a team effort. Uh, I, whatever, however you want to phrase it, there's no way to single one person out. Uh, G Lito's pitch, pitching elite. Everybody in the lineup delivering big moments, whether it's runs or RBIs, it's a full team effort. So, I'm giving it to everybody. Uh, everybody gets high fives all around. Uh, it's not MVP on the day. It's what a team effort this was. So, uh, all right, maybe it's a little sappy. Maybe it's a little cliche for me, but I just, it was too much fun to single any one person out. Uh, everybody, everybody deserves it on this one. All right, thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final from Progressive Field. It's those Guardians 12, those Hey, uh, those big hitting Texas Rangers. Remember, they put up some games against us when we were in Texas. So it is nice to turn the tables and absolutely unload on a team that has had a much better offense for most of the season than we've had. Uh, so Guardians 12, Rangers 3. You can follow me on Twitter at David Barris. You can email the show. Become a new emailer just like Bob did at Mornings at gmail.com. And we'll discuss your thoughts on the show. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.